Hello and welcome to Intersection. I'm your host, KBIA health reporter Rebecca Smith, and I'm filling in for Janet Saidi. Today we're going to be taking a look at the current COVID-19 pandemic that is beginning to impact individuals throughout the state of Missouri. When this conversation was recorded, we had two confirmed cases in the state, but as of this morning, there are now six, two in St. Louis County, three in Greene County, and one in Henry County. I was joined in studio by Dr. Christelle Elbudo, Dr. Ashley Millam, and Lucio Bitoy. Dr. Elbudo is the Medical Director of Infectious Control and Prevention for MU Healthcare and is a Pediatric Infectious Disease Specialist in her day job. Dr. Millam is the Medical Director for the Columbia Boone County Public Health and Human Services. And of course, Lucio Batoy is the Public Information Officer over there at the Public Health Department as well. Hello and thank you all for joining me today. Thanks for, yeah. having Thanks for having us. So I want us to start off today by having you, Dr. Ilbudo, just kind of give our listeners a quick overview or refresher of the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's in currently impacting those here in Missouri. So as people probably already know, COVID-19 um, is the disease that is caused by a virus called um, SARS-CoV-2, which originated in Wuhan, China. Um, we think that it originated in bats. And so the initial cases were related to people who had gone to a market there and had exposure. But over time, we learned that the virus, um, we had some human transmission, so people were passing on the virus to each other. Um, and as you know, it's gone around the world that we're not necessarily able to identify cases um, that are related to um, um, to exposure because some people have been asymptomatic or have mild symptoms but are still able to spread the virus. And so it's a new disease to humans, um, usually present with cold, um, uh, flu-like symptoms, with some people that are at high risk, you know, ended up getting really sick and, and in the hospital. Thank you so much for that. So you guys are all involved in uh, planning and meeting and prep task force, all those sorts of things. And so how are those conversations going at the moment? And what have been your key takeaways so far? That's a great question. And that is, I think, kind of what's saturating uh, most of our time right now as it should be. Um, and so certainly with no cases um, being uh, identified here in Boone County yet. Um, it's all about preparedness and making sure that we are pre as prepared as possible to limit the impact on the community as much as possible. Um, and so the meetings so far have involved uh, figuring out how best to collaborate uh, with MU Healthcare and Boone and the health department. And I know the health systems are really wanting to work together to have the best possible um, strategy uh, for the entire community. Um, I think that making sure that we're trying to keep up with the um, evolving guidelines is a huge piece of it. The CDC is putting out a massive amount of very helpful guidelines for just about everyone they can think of. And so it's wonderful and it's a lot of information that we're really wanting to sift through to make sure the right people are getting the right information. Well, great. Well, then maybe not great is maybe not the right word for it, but I want us to move a little bit into um, looking at that prevention side, some of the main challenges that may exist here in Missouri. Um, we've heard from some communities, some hospitals uh, that they're concerned about the capacity for ventilators and ICU beds during you know, this crisis, if we do have an influx of cases. And so I was wondering, you know, do we have any grasp on what the capacity looks like for beds and ventilators and any ideas of how we intend to meet that demand? 
That is a very hard question um, because we don't yet know how many people are going to get sick enough to need hospital stay. And until that happens, we really won't have a good answer on what our capacity would be. Certainly at MU Health, we are preparing for that possibility of having patients that will have to figure out how to cohort them or put them together in a, in a place or how to make, you know, the flow of patients who come to our system um, easier to be able to accommodate those patients. But I, I think for anybody who's gone through this and has had more cases that they, they there is what you think you're going to have or expect and there's the actual reality. So until we are in it, I don't think that we have a very good answer. Of course. I think if, if, if you don't mind me kind of using that as a segue, I think that brings up a really... Um, big concern in a lot of um, people's minds right now in the community. And I think it's maybe a good opportunity to talk about how, you know, 80% of people who contract this illness um, most likely will have mild symptoms for which they may not need any medical care at all. Um, And so really making sure that people are aware that if your symptoms are mild and more similar to a cold and you're not having trouble breathing, um, if your symptoms are limited to fever and or cough and you're able to manage those safely at home, that is the best strategy for those things. Um, By all means, if you have significant shortness of breath and feel like you need emergent evaluation, then you should definitely seek the ER. That is what it's there for. But it's really important to call ahead if you think you have additional risk factors for having contracted COVID-19. And then there's a large number of people who may fall into an in-between category, which is, I think, actually what a lot of our talks have been about lately, the best way to handle um, those particular um, cases. And calling ahead if you think you may have additional risk factors, like someone that you know you came into contact with that has the virus, has tested positive for the virus, or you have traveled to a high-risk region, um, calling ahead and letting your healthcare provider know and letting them help guide um, the best place for you to be evaluated is a really important message that we're hoping um, to continue to share with the public. Um, And there are a number of ways to get in touch with your healthcare provider. Um, And so the state does have a hotline, um, actually one specifically for patients now and a separate one for providers, which will um, help with uh, perhaps an initially overwhelmed system where I think a lot of people had a hard time um, getting through. And so um, that's, I think, been a helpful tool to give providers a different number. But for patients who um, are concerned they may have been exposed and may need testing for uh, COVID-19 illness, uh, the hotline for the state is 877-435-8411. And again, there is a different number for providers to call um, who feel like they have a patient in their care uh, that needs testing. Um, And I think each of the um, health organizations have come up with a number of strategies to help help patients decide if they need to be seen, if they can be seen remotely to protect both them and the community, um, or if they need to be you know, seen more urgently. Because MU Healthcare has actually introduced virtual evaluations, That's is that correct? Right. Yeah, so we have virtual visits available. You can download um, an app, the MU Healthcare Virtual Visit. You can find more information about it on our website, muhealth.org slash coronavirus um, and we're actually offering ten dollars if you have coronavirus specific needs um, that can be triaged through um, telehealth or the visits 
And based on whether you meet the criteria or not, then we will direct you to a place where you can come and get formally evaluated and tested. Great. And that and that line that those visits are actually going to be um, uh, uh, taken care of by our own providers. And so I know that some people have concerns about having telehealth and. Uh, maybe having contact with physicians that are not their own physicians, but this is actually going to be um, staffed by our own MU physicians. So you guys uh, talk about the, the different ways that we can um, have individuals evaluated for signs, symptoms of COVID-19 and then move forward with best steps. But one thing we're hearing a lot of frustrations about is, of course, the available number of tests. I, I was wondering if you guys could address why we're seeing maybe this small number of tests available and are there ways for us to move around that uh, moving forward? Sure. Um, I, I do think that the rollout of the testing was perhaps slower than the CDC had hoped uh, based on, you know, some of their um, discussions recently. Um, but it is available through private labs now as well. Um, I think it is important uh, to note that it is free for people who meet criteria in Missouri if it's done through the state lab. And so I think that is an important consideration. Um, but it is available now through private labs as well. So this is beyond just individuals at this point who have had direct contact with positive cases? Because that was one of the limitations we've been hearing about. So that is up to each of those private labs decides who would meet the criteria um, for those tests. And I think that it is probably a good idea until there is an abundance of tests for it to be triaged and people who have traveled from a high-risk area and have symptoms or have had a known exposure and have symptoms or who are severely ill, critically ill, without another explanation for their illness, it does make sense for those to be prioritized versus um, someone who does not have symptoms and is curious. And perhaps there's a better term for that. But um, I I think that it's important for those tests to be triaged until there's an abundance of testing um, available. So at this moment, there's still not an abundance of tests available in the state. Correct. I don't have an exact number, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it's not just the test kits, but it's the labs running the tests. So right now, I think the private labs, the turnaround time is 72 hours. The state lab, I believe, is still within... 24 hours. And if we submit thousands of tests to these labs, I can only imagine, this is not fact-based, but this Mm -hmm. would be my presumption that those times would be extended, which is a big deal for someone who is fighting for their life in the ICU. And so I think that not just testing to test um, is important right now right now. So the swabs that we use, I don't think there's a shortage of swabs or even the viral media that you transport that in. And so that may be an important kind of um, clarification for the public about what is what is there not enough of. It's not that we can't collect specimens and send them to the lab, but right now I would imagine that our labs cannot process an undefined number, if that number gets very large very quickly, um, 
in as timely of a manner. So it's more infrastructure-based than swab-based, right? You could do the collection. There's maybe just not infrastructure to support influx of tests. Right. Okay. if If I can add to that, the other piece of it is that because we don't have a clear treatment plan, for those people who have very minimal or mild symptoms, even if they test positive, we are still sending them home to quarantine themselves. So, so rather than thinning ourselves out on testing people that we wouldn't otherwise support more of, more, um, I, I think that you know we will also need help from from the community to really help us prioritize those that are at high risk and those that are really sick um, so that if they have mild symptoms, they can really stay home as we've been recommending, washing hands, you know, staying away from crowds. So again, we can really prioritize the seeker patients and take care of them, knowing again that 80% or more of people who have it, whether it's confirmed or not, have, have gone better and will get better. Great. Well, thank you guys uh, for addressing that. I was wondering, just kind of on a peripheral note, if you guys have any idea of how many uh, tests have been administered and sent out of the Boone County area, do we have those numbers? Um, at this time, uh, to my knowledge, there have been between six and ten uh, tests sent from Boone County to the state lab. And that's from your organization, from Public Health. Is that separate from MU? I believe that's Boone County. Just Boone County. Okay, so that's Boone County individual. Okay, uh, uh, including oh. the healthcare organizations. Oh, okay. It, is there a way for people to stay up to date on that information? Is that being released anywhere? I don't know that it really matters to the public to know how many tests we've run. I think the most important thing is thing is really to know who has it and should be staying home and away from crowds. So again, we can slow the spread. So I would not focus on how many tests have you run overall. I would rather focus on how many people are sick that need to come to the hospital that we need to take care of, how many people are sick that can stay home and really quarantine themselves. So because the, the end goal, ultimate goal, is to slow down the spread and decrease, decrease decrease the transmission. So I think that should really be our main message is really needing help from the community in helping us take care of those that are the highest risk. And those individuals, again, are the you know older people among us, people who have chronic conditions, people whose um, immune systems are not able to handle infections. And so we really should, as a community, should focus on protecting and prioritizing those people. You're listening to Intersection, and I'm your host, Rebecca Smith. Today, we're talking COVID-19 with Dr. Crisella Budo, the Medical Director of Infectious Disease Control and Prevention for MU Healthcare, and Dr. Ashley Milham and Lucio Bitoy from Columbia Boone County Public Health and Human Services. So I want to take us in a little bit different direction, you know, kind of on what you were just speaking about, Dr. Elbudo, some of the populations that may be at particular risk for COVID-19. You know, we're a big healthcare community. You know, a lot of people work in hospitals and clinics, and uh, many of us use the healthcare services in our community as well. And so what's important, what is it important for healthcare professionals uh, to keep in mind right now about the disease? So for healthcare professionals, I think that we have to think about our um, own safety first. And, and so the message that we really have had for our staff at MU Health is learning how to protect ourselves, learning how to properly isolate or properly wear our protective equipment so that when we do take care of the patients, um, we are not exposing ourselves and therefore exposing potential other patients that we go and see. So I think for healthcare workers, it's self-care, taking care of yourself and really learning how to stay safe as you are taking care of patients that are sick. How about for you guys over at the health department? Um, 
I think that is great advice for providers. And I think, you know, a lot of the questions we've been getting from providers has been specifically about who should be tested. And it's really a similar message as far as if someone has mild symptoms, having them stay home if that's appropriate for them. And then for the people who it is recommended for testing. That criteria has evolved um, and it will continue to evolve as it should as our epidemiology here locally changes for this illness. Um, But recognizing risk factors, like Dr. Elbudo was just referring to a person's, um, their individual risk factors for their underlying chronic illnesses or for our elderly patients we know are also at an increased risk. And so those are important considerations to keep in mind. But really right now for Boone County, it's their travel history um, as well as any contact with a confirmed case are, are the big risk factors for people who are at higher risk of having this illness. And then not forgetting about influenza and pneumonia and other illnesses that can present similarly, um, which we're still in the season for as well. And so trying not to get that tunnel vision, but also now adding in this new potential um, illness to your differential diagnosis. And I, I think that was a really, sometimes we can get really bogged down in details. And I think, you know, remembering what Dr. Elbudo just said, that it's not necessarily in people's best interest to get tested. It's not appropriate for every person from both the patient standpoint and from a clinical standpoint. And so kind of coming back to that big picture is is a really good thing to be reminded of. So you mentioned um, how to wear uh, protective equipment properly, how to set up uh, isolation, those sorts of things. And so is there actually greater risk for those at the front lines, the, the providers who are working with patients for infection? And um, are there other ways to mitigate managed risk, or is this really the primary method at this point? I think... Even without the new coronavirus or COVID-19, there's always a risk to healthcare workers because when patients come to us, they don't necessarily come saying, I have influenza. And so um, and so we really have to do, a, and, and we do do a, a diligent job on triaging and screening those patients um, for their own safety, for the safety of the patients around them and for our own safety. And so we have ongoing training on that. We have very specific protocols to address that. Um, and so just reminding people again to remember those basics to go back to those basics and making sure that we are doing the right things. Are you guys doing continued education then with your physicians and nurses, et cetera, right now? Yeah, yeah, we we have done that on a continual basis, so it's it's nothing new to us. Um, I think the added element is refreshing and, and reviewing that information, but it's something that we do on an ongoing basis. Well, so you you've mentioned several times uh, people who are at greater risk, those amongst us who we need to prioritize, and I want us to talk a little bit about that group. Really, who are the individuals in our community that need to be paying the closest attention to this? Right, we don't want to completely ostracized parts of our community, but who should uh, be staying home? Who should we be avoiding contact with to keep them safe? So based on the, and again, this could change as we learn more about this illness over time, but based on the information that we've had from other countries, the people who get the sickest are older people, um, people who have underlying chronic condition, heart disease, lung disease, um, immunocompromised conditions, those are the individuals who tend to be, be sicker and get sicker from it. So that's why the CDC has already also recommended prioritizing those individuals in our prevention and in our, our strategies for triaging and, and, and um, 
um, taking care of those patients. But in addition, I think that following those criteria of exposure and symptoms is also critical um, in order to evaluate patients for COVID-19. I think one thing that people may not be aware of is that many of the people who could be at high risk, these immunocompromised groups, aren't people you'd necessarily look at and be like, oh, yeah, they're sick. And so I was wondering if we could kind of um, maybe listen to the more common conditions that that could include. I know I've talked to some individuals who are recipients of organ transplants um, and are on immunosuppressants, the same with people who have Crohn's disease, et cetera. And so what are some of those more common, you know, complicating factors, like you mentioned, that some could be in someone's health chart that they should pay more attention to right now? So, for example, COPD, diabetes, as you mentioned, transplant patients, um, patients with, you know, chronic lung disease, um, patients with on dialysis are, are another group too. So those are just some examples. Any patients on any immunosuppressant, um, so chemotherapy or other immunosuppressing agents are at potentially high risk. What can those individuals at risk do beyond just following the recommendations? I think uh, prevention strategies for them um, and have gone out already is really being prepared. So number one, we tell people, make sure that you have your medical equipment, you have your medicines that you need on hand so that if we get into a situation where you have to quarantine yourself that you are prepared and ready. So having a clear print from the doctor about what to do if they have to stay home. Um, and then number two, avoiding situations where they could expose themselves. So, you know, we offer, we talk a lot about crowds, but it really depends on the crowd. So for example, if they go to a wedding of 50 people, but they're all in close quarters, that is a higher, higher risk than going to a concert where you are sitting six feet apart from the, the next person, you know, next to you. So um, it, it's really important to know the surrounding, avoiding being in close quarters, watching um, people who may be sick around them who are coughing um, and, and trying to keep their distance. And the biggest thing that we really see that helps is hand washing. And most people don't do it well enough, but it's really recommended to to wash their hands for 20 seconds, which can seem like a long time, but um, that, that usually goes a long way in helping. Do you have a favorite song to sing while you wash your hands? I think most people said the ABC song. I've been trying to switch it up every week. I've been giving myself a new 20-second chorus. I've been doing a lot of Lizzo. That's been nice. A lot I of musicals. Hey, I think that that is a good way to encourage hand washing because yeah. I, I, we often talk about the happy birthday song twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we might get a lot more people on board with Lizzo. Yes. <laughs> well, um, you know, we, we can all see and follow the CDC's recommendations and the recommendations from both uh, MU Health and the, the Boone County uh, Columbia Public Health Department. But um, what beyond that would you like to see as a community as a response to this? I mean, do we want to see people prioritizing self-quarantining, um, maybe closing schools, even that's if that's a, a bit of a hardship for some parents? But what are, the, what are some of the ways that as a community we can help protect each other and be maybe more aggressive about our precautions? So I think that's a really great point. I, I do have to say that right now the CDC is putting out guidelines for communities, for schools, for workplaces, for each organization. And to a certain extent, I, I don't think we should be reinventing the wheel. I think that we should be following those guidelines because they are incredibly specific so we can take the pieces of the guidelines that are applicable to our community and utilize those. And at the same time, there are other communities that are a step ahead, which is fortunate for us because we don't, whenever it comes to COVID-19, we don't want to be the community that's at, that's at the forefront of that. That's our, the whole point is stopping the spread, minimizing the risk to our community. And so it's 
fortunate for us that we're not ahead in this particular area. And so for the communities that are already seeing cases of COVID-19, learning from their successes and from the things that aren't going well. And again, I think that's a, a big thing that we're wanting to do is make sure we're bringing in all of this information and figuring out what's most applicable to our community here. Um, and I think that there's a lot of really good information out there. And that's, I think, honestly, one of the challenges is that there's so much good information. That's that's a big part of our days right now is sifting through that information and figuring out how do these recommendations and these other communities' experiences fit best into our preparedness plan here. So just one last question for you guys before I let you go today. Uh, We've just heard recently, we're recording this on Friday, that the governor is expected to declare a state of emergency this evening. And I was wondering um, how you guys think um, or are preparing for that to affect you as providers, or will it? I I think from the way that I understand it is that declaring a state of emergency will allow us to tap into resources that we would be better prepared. I don't think that the public should necessarily be alarmed. I think it's one of the ways that we can make sure that we have the resources that we need to take care of patients should we get to the point where we we start seeing more cases in our community. What could those funds go towards? Would this maybe be supporting or propping up infrastructure for testing? Or or what is the idea, tapping into funds towards what? Sure. So I think that um, how to best test people in a safe way is one good aspect of that. But also for people who do need to self-isolate, um, if they live with a large group of people in close quarters and that is the only option they have to have a roof over their head or for people who don't have a roof over their head at baseline, um, those those are some populations that could benefit from this, but also being able to just implement the agreed upon strategies w- within our healthcare organizations that are best for our patients. We're often able to move a step ahead before before we have to worry about insurance reimbursement and all these other things that might take months to sort out, you're able to really focus on what needs to happen for our population and for individual patients um, if you have those additional resources available to you. Great. Well, is there anything else you guys would like to add? I think for me, the key message is knowing that 80% or more of people who get COVID-19 and are confirmed do better. And there are a lot more people out there that get it that we don't test who are also better. So in the midst of all the news, um, yes, we should be prepared and cautious, but in the midst of all the news, just keeping those numbers in mind, I think, provides some reassurance. Thank you, Dr. Albuto. Dr. Bain? I'm going to steal, just to reiterate, Dr. Albuto earlier said to be prepared and not panic. And I think that cannot be reiterated enough right now that if you're feeling really overwhelmed, take a deep breath and know that there's a lot of people involved, um, people nationally as well as people locally who are looking at this and are going to continue to publish guidelines. I mean, I actually have my phone out because I feel like a guideline might get updated during our conversation right now because that happens during these meetings. Sometimes something gets updated and that's a wonderful thing. So staying informed, I think, is a smart thing. And look at reliable sources. If you hear something that doesn't quite make sense, um, maybe check into it for yourself. Um, I I think that you can empower yourself with knowledge as long as you're um, looking at trustworthy places for it. Great. And then Lucia? Kind of to piggyback on what you said, some of those reliable sources, 
uh, the public, uh, the health department. We have our own website uh, that we mon- that we update constantly. Como.gov/health. Um, we we also have a form on the website where if people have inquiries reg- related to COVID-19, uh, they can find it in the additional resources section of the page. And I would just say it's in our best interest as a community to act as a community and really, you know, look out for one another. There's no need to be buying all the toilet paper in town. Um, And really just want people to rest assured that um, we're all working closely with federal, state, and local partners to make sure that the public health infrastructure of Boone County is as strong as as possible. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. Um, That has been Dr. Christelle Elbudo, Dr. Ashley Millam, and Lucio Vittori with the health department here in town speaking about COVID-19 right here in mid-Missouri. I'm your host, Rebecca Smith, and this has been an episode of Intersection. Thanks so much for tuning in.